0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Balanced Dietitian podcast. I should probably change my intro. I feel like I say that every week as well. Oh, goodness. I hope that you are feeling well when this podcast is coming out. The weather is starting to change, and I don't know how you feel about all of that, but for me it definitely does impact my mental health. I've seen the last few weeks my capacity being lower, my mood being lower, my energy being lower, and with Everything that I'm doing right now, I find it so important for me to be able to check in and check in with my capacity and give myself compassion. I hope that if it's something that impacts you too, first of all, give sending you so much love because I hear you, I'm here with you. Um, but I hope that you're able to give yourself some space and some gentleness and compassion. So we can all we could all always use a little bit more compassion towards ourselves. But okay done talking about the weather. So let's talk about today's podcast episode. I am really excited because we are we are going to be starting to bring every member of the Balanced Practice team to come talk to you. The Balanced Practice is our private practice where we see people who struggle with disordered eating, eating disorder, or want to learn more about connecting to their bodies, body image, and intuitive eating. So we are all working from a weight-inclusive, anti-diet perspective. Our team now has five dietitians and two psychotherapists. We are so excited um, to be doing this series. So everybody's going to come on the podcast to talk about a subject that they are an expert in or that they love to talk about. And today we start with Jasna. Jasna has been working with me now for a year. She is such a wonderful human being. She is so kind, so compassionate, and actually really funny, (laughs) Um, so today, Jasna is going to come on to talk about diabetes, intuitive eating, um, we're going to talk about disordered eating, and the role of healthcare providers in providing like safe treatment to patients with, with diabetes. Jasna is a, diet, a certified diabetes educator, as well as a tr- certified intuitive eating counselor. So she combines both of her expertise to really support people in a client-focused approach that does not demonize food or bodies. So this episode is amazing. If you um, have diabetes or someone in your family has diabetes, this is a great listen. We will demystify a few myths for you and we will talk a little bit more about how intuitive eating can really be supportive. Jasna, again, is such a wonderful human being and I'm so pumped to have her a part of my team and I can't wait for you to listen to her genius. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Balanced Dietitian Podcast. Today we have a super excited guest. We have Jasna who's here today, and she's the first team member to be on the podcast. I'm super excited to welcome Jasna. Hey Jasna, how are you today?
1: Good. Hi everyone. I'm so excited to be joining the podcast today.
0: Yes, this is so exciting, and we have quite the conversation lined up for you guys today. We're going to talk about diabetes, eating disorder, disordered eating. But before we get into all that good stuff, we all love a good story. So would you mind telling us a little bit more about you, who you are, and how you decided to become a
1: dietitian and then specialize in diabetes and eating disorder? Oh, Marika, that's such a good question. So I decided to become a dietitian because I had a lot of really significant food allergies as a child. I have anaphylaxis to nuts and peanuts, and I always felt very excluded around food occasions. Um, And I I felt that there was a much better way for people to learn how to be um, having a relationship with food that felt good and that felt inclusive. And so I wanted people to learn to be able to have a relationship with food that felt good in that way. And that's why I became a dietitian. Um, And the way that I got into diabetes and eating disorder work and health at every size work is um, one of my early uh, work in the field when I first started as a dietitian was that I worked in an eating disorder clinic, um, but I didn't have enough hours and, you know, girls got to pay the rent. So I started doing um, maternity leave in a diabetes clinic as well. And I really loved working in both, but I started feeling very uncomfortable with giving advice to people in the diabetes clinic um, that was sometimes restrictive and sometimes actually told them to ignore their hunger cues in order to manage their blood sugar. And it just didn't sit well with me because this was completely the opposite of the advice we gave in the eating disorder clinic. And so I spent the next few years thinking about it. And then fast forward several years um, into the future, when I became pregnant with my first son, um, I actually got to have my first time experience with some weight bias in a healthcare setting. So I've had the privilege of living in a smaller body. um, But when I became pregnant and in my postpartum period was the first time I had a a lot of comments from friends and family, and even healthcare providers around my weight and my shape and my body. And I remember having an appointment once fairly soon after my son was born where the healthcare provider commented so much about uh, my body size that we actually didn't get to talk about how I was feeling. And I vowed in that moment that I was never, ever, ever gonna put anyone on a diet again and never give anyone advice again um, in order to purposefully change their weight and their shape at the expense of taking care of their bodies. So that's why I decided to become an intuitive eating counselor. Um, And nowadays I incorporate intuitive eating principles into um, my diabetes care and into the later stages of eating disorder care. So that's sort of um, where I've come from and my story.
0: That is so awesome, because you have like so many various experiences with nutrition that kind of gave you that passion to teach people to just respect, honor and take care of their bodies. Uh, and I'm starting to hear about the experience that you've had with like the healthcare care system and, and like weight stigma and just our bodies. It's just it's so, it's so hard. So people like you are really important in this world. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our conversation today. So today we want to talk a little bit more about the relationship between diabetes and our food relationship. Before we get into it, could we just define a little bit like what is diabetes? Like what does it mean? How can someone get diabetes is like the sugar, the worst enemy of diabetes? Like can, can we kind of like unpack a few myths around diabetes before we get started?
1: Great question. So so diabetes has been a little more prevalent in the media. And we do hear a lot about diabetes and there's a lot of myths that that float around about it. So it's a good question to ask. So diabetes is actually a disease where the body has trouble either producing or responding to the hormone called insulin. Um, And that's a hormone that's made in the pancreas by cells called beta cells. And when our body has trouble either making enough insulin or using the insulin that it does has, it results in our blood sugar being higher. And sometimes that can spill over into our urine and we end up having sugar in our in our pee, if you will. So that leads to some of the common signs of diabetes. So um, often people decide to go to the doctor and get checked out to see if they have diabetes because they're feeling really, really, really thirsty. Um, And that's because our bodies are actually very good at trying to get back into balance. So when we have too much sugar in our blood, um, our body tries to make us drink more by making us thirsty to try to water it down a little bit to try to sort of balance it out. We also end up going to the bathroom a lot. We feel like we need frequent urination because our body again is trying to get into balance and is trying to pee out all that sugar. Sometimes people feel extremely hungry, even if they're eating more than they used to or eating the same as they used to. They're just feeling extremely hungry. And that's because insulin is like a key that unlocks the door into our cells and lets sugar in to give us energy. And we need that fuel to be able to do all the activities we do in a day to just feel like normal human beings. And when we can't unlock that door anymore because the insulin's not working or we just don't have enough of it, we can feel feel really tired. We can feel extremely hungry because our body's just trying really hard to get some energy. So sometimes people feel this lethargy or like extreme fatigue that they just can't explain and doesn't seem to go away. Um, so those are some of those big red flags that you might be having trouble um, with your insulin or with metabolizing your carbohydrates or your sugar um, in the foods that you eat. Um, so that's, I think, where some of the myths around uh, causes of diabetes are. Is because insulin does help us metabolize carbohydrates into something called glucose, which is essentially sugar that gives us fuel. Sometimes people get this idea that we ate too much sugar and that's what we got diabetes. But actually, diabetes is really, really strongly genetic. So um, you'll notice diabetes runs um, very much in families. If you've had a lot of people in your family that have had diabetes, it's probably a good idea to um, make sure you're getting checked to see if um, you have any of those risk factors as well. Um, and we see diabetes in people of all shapes and sizes. So um, thin body people can get type 2 diabetes, and many people who live in larger bodies um, are at very low risk of type 2 diabetes because of the their genetic profile. Um, and sometimes there's a myth that we gave it to ourselves because we live in a larger body or that we gained weight. Um, but the reality is, even if you hadn't gained any weight, or even if you were in a smaller body, you might have gotten it anyways, because of those genetic risk factors. There's also um, something we called epigenetic risk factors, which is sort of the idea that we can have risk factors based on things that happened really, really early in life. So for example, when your mom was pregnant with you, if your mom had stressors during her pregnancy or had some changes in her nutrition, or she herself had diabetes in pregnancy, that can affect how many cells you got in your pancreas and can affect your lifetime risk of getting diabetes. And that's something that you really didn't do to yourself. It's not something your mom did to you either. It's just something that happened as part of the way that your organs formed. Um, so I really like to encourage people to sort of take away some of that self-blame that I think we're often very good at giving ourselves and that, um, often there was nothing that we could have done about it, and that this is just part of our genetic makeup. Some people get, you know, high blood pressure, some people get blue eyes, some people get brown eyes, some people get diabetes. Um, There's also sort of a few different common types of diabetes. So one of the most common types that we hear about a lot in the news, and that you might uh, know somebody that has this type, is called type 2 diabetes. We used to call it adult onset diabetes, we don't call it that anymore, um, because we can get it at a younger age as well. That's the type of diabetes where we have something called insulin resistance, usually. So what that means is that insulin key has a hard time getting to the doors in the cells to let the blood sugar in. Um, And that can lead to us needing to make more and more and more insulin in our pancreas. And then sometimes our pancreas gets kind of tired and has a harder and harder time making insulin. That's the most common type. Another really common type is type one diabetes. So that one we used to call like insulin dependent diabetes or childhood onset diabetes. We don't call it that anymore because we can actually sometimes need insulin in other types of diabetes. And we can actually get type one diabetes later in life sometimes. Um, But that one's an autoimmune disease where the body actually destroys the pancreas cells that make insulin. And so it's really hard um, for our bodies to process carbohydrates Hydrates, or to process sugars that we eat. And so we always do have to um, inject insulin as a way to process that food. And then the third really common type of diabetes is gestational diabetes or diabetes in pregnancy. It's very similar to uh, type two diabetes in the way it shows up in our body, but it's, it's caused by hormone changes in pregnancy that gives us sort of like a temporary diabetes, especially in the second half of our pregnancy. So I talked a lot about um, types of diabetes and where it comes from, um, but hopefully that sort of answered your question about what is diabetes and how do we get it?
0: no that is so amazing and you are so knowledgeable like I feel like everybody listening are going to have like a pen and paper and just like writing all of that down because that's just awesome and I like I think there's three things that stood out for me that we just like demystify need to continue to demystify. and one of the big things is like sugar does not cause diabetes we can't eat sugar and not have diabetes sugar does not cause diabetes um, and weight as well I think um, I feel like (laughs) between like diet culture and diabetes like there's something with like the whole like health is a movement of like we need to be healthy and being healthy makes us feel like we're in a higher value that someone developing diabetes can feel like a personal failure and can feel really really heavy because we think it's our fault for some reason we think it's our body's fault and then we start shaming and bashing our body because we believe that should have done better so love the fact that we're able to demystify that that diabetes is not reserved for larger bodies people of all sizes can have it and actually genetics is a much bigger uh, predictor of developing diabetes than anything else so I think this is really really amazing just to unpack it and just seeing again that like that intersection between diet culture and health, it's always there. And it kind of pushes us to demonize foods um, and demonize our own body and feel like our body's not good enough when truly that's just not it. And having diabetes does not make us less worthy or valuable as a person either. Hello, hello, hello. I'm stopping this podcast to tell you about a free class that I am doing. So my friend, if you have food guilt, if you feel guilty about eating foods, or maybe you simply don't know what to eat anymore because you've done so many diets that you have all these food rules and everything feels kind of scary. Maybe you feel disconnected to your body and can't connect to your hunger, to your satiety, or you just maybe don't trust yourself. This class is for you. So in this class, we are going to talk about how in the world we can eat without guilt without losing control around food and still feeling good in our body. We're going to talk about the three biggest mistakes that people make with their relationship to food. And we're going to go through my step-by-step approach on how to do this. Like how do we go from where we are to having full, full food freedom and just body confidence. So if you're interested in joining, you can go to the link in the show note, or you can go to www.thebalancepractice.com for a slide to sign up to come to the next free class. I cannot wait to connect with you there. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit about those recommendations that we tend to give people with diabetes. Um, As you say in your first job that you were kind of in there and be like, oh, wait, this kind of feels restrictive and not too cool. Um, Because I'd love to talk about this idea between having diabetes and then Leading that into disordered eating or feeling anxious and nervous about food and having food guilt and how all of that plays together.
1: Yeah, and I think that um, inadvertently, we often do that in our health care with um, sort of our weight-centric care, which is really predominant in North American culture, where weight seems to somehow be at the the core of everything. And I don't know why we came to this, um, but this is where we are right now, and we need to make some changes in healthcare. Well, we so, are
0: working uh, towards that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Um, often I would see people in, um, in diabetes clinic where just like many uh, chronic health conditions, people are really keen on making some changes to sort of try to help improve their, their health and their long-term prognosis of the disease. And so they want to listen to what their healthcare care provider is saying. Um, and unfortunately, the way a lot of interactions go in diabetes care is there's a strong recommendation for people to lose weight as a way to improve their insulin resistance, Um, or if they live in a smaller body, to never gain weight so that they don't get worsening insulin resistance. And unfortunately, that can sometimes lead to disordered eating, where we're restricting our food intake to try to lose weight and to try to keep our blood sugars as low as possible for as long as possible, which can mean that we're ignoring our hunger cues and our fullness cues. Um, And then we get into sometimes a cycle of undereating, or especially kind of limiting certain um, food groups or macronutrients, especially carbs can be a big one nowadays, um, where people just aren't eating enough to sustain themselves. Um, or sometimes eating so little, they're having sometimes low blood sugar and then um, ending up having um, sort of carbohydrate cravings and sweet cravings, especially when we have either low blood sugar or high blood sugar. A lot of people don't know that untreated high blood sugar can also lead to carbohydrate cravings um, and sweet cravings, which is sort of like this um, climbing up a mountain effect where we're working against ourselves a little bit. And so people can get into a cycle of sort of restrictive eating or under eating or trying to force our bodies to be smaller than they're meant to be or than they are right now, um, which can then lead to overeating later or eating in a way that doesn't feel good in in our bodies and can lead to more guilt and more shame. So it can be quite a bad cycle. Um, There's also an interesting sort of phenomenon where um, the way that medications and insulin and insulin resistant works can also affect sort of carbohydrate and sugar cravings and weight as well. So especially some of the older types of medications that were used for type 2 diabetes and are still around today sometimes, um, and certain types of insulin formulations can sometimes cause uh, sugar cravings and carbohydrate cravings as well, um, the the same way that insulin resistant can Um, and can also affect our overall appetite and our weight changes too. So sometimes people feel like they're trying so hard to you know, resist, resist, resist all this food and their bodies are actually working against them. Um, And it's really not our fault if you're having such an intense craving for carbohydrates and sugar because of medications that you're on or because you have untreated really high blood sugar, um, no amount of willpower in the world is going to be able to muscle through that. Um, And so instead, I like to recommend that um, people do sort of more work that's a little bit uh, more on the intuitive eating sort of side of things, where we start to get back in touch with our hunger and fullness cues and kind of come at it from like an investigative journalist or um, non-judgmental, like open-minded curiosity point of view about how does the food that we eat actually make us feel? How does that um, last in our bodies? What happens with our blood sugar when that happens? Um, as opposed to some of the more restrictive um, traditional diabetes recommendations.
0: Oh yeah, totally. And I feel like when it has something to do with our health, like it, if our health is at play, uh, a lot of us will start feeling like unsafe. Like oh no, like I want to be healthy. Like our drive as human to want to survive. Like we don't want to be in that zone where we feel. And safe, which means that when we get those recommendations from health professionals, like you say, we're like so eager. We're like, okay, I'm going to do all the things that you tell me because there's this like fear around health. But when those recommendations are actually more harmful, we fall into this loop. And it feels like the weight centric way is like, well, the diagnosis of diabetes equals personal failure. And then you need to use your motivation and willpower to try to beat diabetes. Like I've heard, I've seen this on so many magazine, like beat diabetes in 30 days with like this whatever thing. So it's almost like it's all on you and on the individual to do all of it. But it's, again, like you said, it's kind of like we're we're working against our biology because we're using all these external things of like, I need to restrict and do all these things. And then the food guilt and the anxieties there too which just makes it really heavy um, and makes it really, really hard. And you then fall, like you say, in those like cycles of restriction and then maybe overeating because your body's like, feed me, I, I need food now. Thank you. So definitely, yeah, not easy into that cycle of disordering. needs so we can see how those recommendations can be harmful um, for people who have diabetes. So could we talk a little bit about the alternative? So if like restricting carbs and restricting your sugar and trying to use all your motivation and willpower is not the way to manage diabetes what can we do? You talked a little bit about that intuitive eating piece and like connecting to our hunger and fullness, but how does that play out? And how does that work with diabetes? If you have to manage quote unquote, your carbs and everything, your blood sugars.
1: Mm. It's such a good question. And it's not an easy one. Nope. I always asked uh, the very first step as with kind of any kind of chronic condition or any healing relationship with food and body is always just start by self care pieces. So I always say that um, a really good basis is to nourish ourselves. So eating enough earlier in the day and frequently enough in the day. Um, if you ask yourself, you know, if I was looking after a young child, maybe my niece or a nephew or a friend's child or my own child, how would I feed them? And that can be a really good place to start. You know, we probably need to have, um, you know, actual meals in the day, we probably need some snacks in between those meals, especially if their longer periods of time between them. And we probably need a number of different food groups in each of those meals. We need some protein. We need some fat to keep us full. We need some carbohydrates and we need some fiber and we need kind of a little bit of everything um, spread throughout the day. And that's probably a really good start for a lot of people. Um, And then not only is that going to keep us more satisfied and more full so that we're not overeating later in the day and having those, you know, carbohydrate cravings and sugar cravings because our blood sugar is on a roller coaster, but eating in that way where we're balancing our meals and our snacks is also going to be good on our blood sugars Um, and going to be good for our heart health, which can be one of the um, long-term consequences of um, diabetes that isn't controlled or managed as well. Um, Getting some enjoyable forms of movement in, so uh, that doesn't mean, you know, going out and starting a really rigorous physical activity program if you're really hating it, but doing some things in your day that you're actually enjoying, that make you feel good, that maybe actually reduce your stress, um, can be another one of those self-care pieces. Um, And I really like emphasizing the self-care because stress also increases our blood sugar. Um, So when we're stressed, we have a surge of the hormone cortisol, which is a a storage hormone and affects the way our insulin works too. And when we're feeling stressed, our liver dumps sugar into our bloodstream to kind of prepare us for fight or flight response. And I've got to run from the bear or fight it off, even if it's financial stress or emotional stress. And sometimes we don't really want that extra sugar dumped into our bloodstream. Thanks liver, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, And so instead, doing some things that help us to um, relax, to cope with our emotions, maybe to address some of the root causes of those stressors um, can actually be a really important part of diabetes care and uh, self-care. And then I often recommend something I call mindful blood sugar checking. So this is a little bit different than your typical um, blood sugar testing. The word testing, I think sometimes evokes this idea of like you pass or fail, you check, you know, you poke your finger and it's like red or green, pass or fail, um, which just feels more shameful and more guilt-inducing. But instead, I like to advise people that um, this is not about good or bad blood sugar. This is about just information gathering. It's again, kind of like that investigative journalist idea that we're finding out more about what happens in our bodies when we eat certain things or we do certain types of activities and movement or we feel more stressed. Maybe we check our blood sugars during times of stress to see what happens um, with our blood sugars during then, And um even though we get general recommendations about what foods affect our blood sugars and how they affect our blood sugars, they are still general recommendations. And every person is going to be a little bit more individualistic and a little bit different in the way their bodies um, metabolize different foods. So checking our blood sugars gives us just some information about what that food does to us. And there's no good or bad. So maybe I find out when I check my blood sugars that orange juice, for example, might uh, really bring up my blood sugars. And maybe that's really useful. Maybe that means if I'm having a blood sugar low, I know that I can use orange juice as a really good tool for me. So again, there's no good or bad, it's just information gathering. Um, And then you can bring that information to your healthcare provider um, to give them some more information about managing and helping you with managing your diabetes. Doing some things um, that help with self-care in terms of the rest of our body and where diabetes affects the rest of our body. Things like oral health care, going to see the dentist, um, doing some good teeth brushing and flossing because diabetes can affect our gums, for example. Um, Getting our eyes checked regularly, going to see the eye doctor if we need to because diabetes can affect our eyes and doing some self-care with our feet because diabetes can affect our feet as well and having those conversations with a healthcare provider a doctor that you trust and that um, you are feeling comfortable with talking about can we talk about some of the non-weight centric or non-weight um, involved aspects of my diabetes care sometimes can be a really good area to start. Um, I also like to urge the healthcare providers that might be listening to this podcast that I don't want it to all be on the individual. We actually need to make some changes too. We need to change the way we do diabetes care um, so that we're not predisposing people to developing disordered eating issues and body image issues um, and cycles with their eating that are actually maybe more harmful to their diabetes than uh, would not be. So we need to actually be thinking about, you know, if I'm doing a foot care appointment for someone's diabetes, do I need to check their weight? What does weight have to do with their foot care? And maybe questioning some of those ways that we used to do diabetes care.
0: I love that so much. Like you were speaking and I felt myself like breathing more easily being like, it doesn't have to be so shameful. Um, and it can actually be a way, like, I love that you add like self-care and mindfulness. Like it can actually be a way that we continue to take care of our body. Like we all have different bodies, different needs, and we get to check in and honor our body in a way that's, um not as restrictive, and just more in the understanding of like, okay, this, this is how it impacts me. So how do I choose to move forward with this information now? Like, I think that's such a cool way to approach diabetes. Like, I love that so, 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 so much. Um, so definitely too, for healthcare providers, I love that you've added that because that's not how, what we're taught in school. I think a lot of us, um, we are taught very differently. I mean, I think all our education is very weight centric, not just around diabetes. So sometimes being able to take that step back of like, okay, cool. Like what else, like what's an alternative to that? Um, and giving even like everyone, like as individual, that like empowerment to like, we get to ask for better care. Like we get to ask for alternatives of like, well, if weight loss is not something that I want to pursue, what else would be supportive? And I think that's a really cool way to just empower people that they're, they're allowed to do that. Um, so that is really, really cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through this, walk us through diabetes care from a weight neutral perspective and just bringing in that intuitive eating that we can have in there as well. Um, any other tips or tricks or anything you want to leave the audience with?
1: I guess just um, kind of reminding ourselves on that kind of, you know, getting rid of some of the shame and guilt and um, self blame, reminding ourselves that diabetes not only doesn't have a genetic factor, but it is also a progressive illness or progressive disease. And just like many other chronic conditions that are progressive, sometimes the, the, disease or the condition can change over time. And that doesn't mean that we didn't take good care of ourselves. That doesn't mean that we didn't eat properly or that we didn't um, exercise enough or that we didn't do all the right things that the the condition can change over time. And so sometimes that means uh, changing the way that we care for ourselves. And maybe that means medications. Maybe that means insulin in the long run that might mean different things for different people, but reminding ourselves that we're doing the best that we can with the tools that that we have right now. And that's good enough. That is amazing.
0: I love that. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Jasna works at the balance practice. We've been working together for a year. When this podcast will be out, it's gonna be a little bit over a year, which has been really, really cool. So you also do support people who have eating disorders who are going through that as well. Um, how do you bring that intuitive eating or intuitive eatingness is what I was gonna say? How do you bring the concepts of intuitive eating into that eating disorder care as well as you transition through that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when someone has diabetes, for example, intuitive eating might start looking like um, sort of like self-care with eating, nourishing ourselves, learning to find out what are our hunger signals, where do they come from? What are our fullness signals? Where do they come from? Making peace with foods that have maybe been a little bit triggering or problematic. We can often do that right from the get-go. With disordered eating or eating disorders, sometimes we need to relearn a little bit about how to eat and how to take care of our bodies at the beginning. Sometimes hunger and fullness cues aren't necessarily online or or working fully at the beginning. And so sometimes we bring intuitive eating in a little bit in the later stages of disordered eating uh, treatment and care, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't get included. It definitely does get included. And so um, I love intuitive eating because it's, um, it's a set of sort of 10 principles that are really about, I call it kind of like self-care eating or eating and having a relationship with your body in a way that is natural for us, a way that, you know, babies are born with and that we can definitely relearn how to eat. Um, So it means coming at eating from a a non-weight-centric point of view and non-dieting kind of point of view and eating in a way that's in accordance with our own hunger, fullness, satiety, eating foods that we like, no foods are off limit, even if you have diabetes, um, and being able to relearn how to... To kind of take care of our body with food. I love that so much. So thank you again for taking the time today to connect with us here. So where can people find you? So you can definitely find me online at the balancepractice.com. Um, you can book into my schedule there. You can email me directly at my email address, which is jasna, J-A-S-N-A, at the balancepractice.com. Um, and I also run a private practice called Peace of Mind Nutrition, which focuses on uh, the perinatal period especially, um, and some gestational diabetes care for those that are looking to work on that too. That is awesome.
0: And all of that will be linked in the show notes. So if you guys are interested in working with Jasna, you are more than welcome to book with her. She is so wonderful. And I feel so, so grateful to have you as part of the balance practice team. All right, let's end up with our fun questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. The first
1: question, what is your favorite food? That's a really good question. Um, I have such a hard time answering that question because I actually love a lot of foods. I would say if I, if I was you know, trapped on a desert island and I had to pick one thing to eat for the rest of my life and it was my favorite food, I'd probably go with like a coconut curry, like a Thai curry or a Malaysian curry, like some kind of really good, spicy, coconutty curry. Ooh, I love that so much. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? that's a good one I I would love to clone myself actually I'd love to have multiple jazzness to help myself out and uh be able to have one person do baby shift and another person do uh all sorts of other things I think that would be a great superpower (laughs) that's the first time I hear that one I find like that's such an like an adult
0: superpower like (laughs) I have so many responsibilities I need more of myself (laughs)
1: I love that so much. Um, what is your favorite way to self-care? Oh, that's a good question as well. So um, I actually, I I love spending time with my family outdoors. Um, we love doing things on the water, whether it's, you know, kayaking or even just, um, you know, running around beside a lake or in a forest, doing anything that's kind of outdoors in nature and getting away from it all is really, really, really rejuvenating for me. I love that. And then the last question for you, what does balance mean to you? That's also a great question. So we do work at the balance practice. And I think um, all of us staff strive towards um, meeting that kind of work-life balance, life balance, um, you know, holistic kind of balance. And for me, um, balance actually means sometimes saying no. That's a lesson that was really, 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 and I'm still working on it, really hard for me to learn. But sometimes, just as I said, with the cloning idea, sometimes we actually got to say no. And I think sometimes balance for me means, you know, choosing to say yes to some things and actually having to say no to some other things as part of enjoying what I am saying yes to. I love that so much. Thank you again for coming on the show, sharing
0: your expertise. Anybody who wants to work with you or just connect with you, um, you can do so. Everything will be left in the show notes, but thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks Marie-Pierre.
0: So it's so amazing. Jasna is really a gem. Again, I'm so grateful that she is part of her team because she really um, brings her own expertise. Not only that, she gives the clients the best care. A few things that I really um, loved from this episode is her approach to to treatment of diabetes, right? Self-care and mindful blood sugar checking are at the center of her interventions. And this applies to all the work that she does. Putting self-care first, putting her clients first, and really empowering her clients to learn to connect with themselves and be the expert of themselves is what she truly succeeds at. Jasna is so amazing. And if you want to connect with her, if you want to book a session with her, you can do so by going to www.thebalancepractice.com forward slash services, where you're going to find all of her one-on-one services. All the links will also be in show notes so you can go directly there. If you have diabetes and you've been listening to the podcast and maybe you had a lot of red flags, maybe there's a lot of things that you feel as though you may struggle with. Maybe you have a lot of guilt around food. Maybe you have a lot of shaming around yourself, around your body. Maybe you're viewing your diabetes as a personal failure. I would really encourage you to reach out. This is really hard. You know, when something impacts our health, it's really hard not to be our own worst self credit and beat ourselves up, but it's also not supportive. So finding ways that we can support you through it so you can become your own expert, but you can also do it from a way that you are compassionate and using self care is really, really important. So on that note, my friend, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a ton from it. And I will catch you next week in the next episode.